0: Today on City Cash Chicago, one of the city's most powerful former alders was found guilty on corruption charges, and a child's death at a migrant shelter is raising questions about conditions at the city's largest facility. Executive producer Samal Alisea and producer Michelle Navarro are here to catch us up on the week's biggest stories, plus share a little bit of good news from 2023. It's Friday, December 22nd. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is What Chicago's Talking About. Yo, before we get into the episode, I want to remind you City Cash Chicago has launched our very first membership. Now, if you've been listening all week, you have heard it, and today is the last day I'm going to interrupt the show to talk about it because it's the last day to become a founding member. Starting at just 8 bucks, all members are going to get ad-free listening and members-only updates. We appreciate all your love and support over the first three years and 700 episodes, and we want to be here for some more years, so please consider joining now at the friend or the cousin level. You can do it by visiting membership.citycast.fm slash Chicago. All right, let's get into the episode. Morning, Michelle.
1: Good morning. Morning, Simone. Good morning, Jacoby.
0: We've been talking about it for months and months and months. One of the biggest corruption trials in uh, state history, former alderperson Ed Burke was an alderman for 50 years. He was up for 14 charges of corruption, and they said they'd get it done before Christmas, and they, they kept their promise. Yesterday, it came down Ed Burke guilty on 13 of the 14 charges, including racketeering, bribery and attempted extortion. Simone, wh- wh- what's your reaction to this? 13 to 14 charges
1: i mean i can't say i'm terribly surprised to be yeah. honest i mean we we had that conversation uh when the trial first started with wttw's heather Sharone about sort of how we got here and burke's history and kind of what he's known for and right burke longtime chair of the finance committee very powerful physician in city council was sort of known for being the guy that like If you wanted to get something done, you needed to kind of have a say so. And I think the other thing, too, is you alluded to, this has been kind of a long time coming, right? The FBI first raided Burke's offices back in late 2018, right? Indicted in 2019. So it's already been several years, you know, waiting for this trial to happen.
0: I was going to say a whole politician has rolled that uh, that raid wave to the mayor of Chicago and then out of City Hall in this time.
1: <laughs> yeah, former mayor, Lori Lightfoot. We talked about that in the episode, too, about how, right, the the Burke indictment was sort of one of the things that kind of uh, spearheaded her to victory because her opponent, uh, Tony Preckwinkle, had some associations with Burke that that voters didn't like. And now, as you say, Lori Lightfoot, out of Yeah, absolutely. It's you know a, she
0: got her statement off immediately. Got yes. it out. It,
1: you know, it, it's... Like I said, I think it's one of those things that's not... Um, not terribly surprising, but that doesn't mean it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, he got found guilty on counts involving the the post office scheme, trying to push business towards uh, his law firm that deals with property taxes, uh, the uh, Benny's poll sign, uh, as well as field museum extortion, where he basically used uh, his position to get people jobs. Ultimately, what this looked like, he was he was using his power Not only to enrich himself, but to directly move, you know, powerful people towards his 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 business. Uh, And in one of these cases, they said after the company involved with the post office, I think on August of 2018, picked up business with his law firm on September of 2018, he voted on something in city council that was beneficial, that would push some TIF money towards that development. And so they were really able to kind of put all of these pieces together from, from the wire tapes from former Alder Danny Solis uh, to the sort of the time and place on how uh, not only the the business was, was pushed towards him, but also what that meant in city council with some of the ways he voted. So Michelle growing up in Gage Park, this was your older person for through, throughout your childhood throughout throughout your time, uh, you know, what is it like for to 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 be someone who, who's who's alder is, is going to jail? You're joining a, a pretty long Chicago <laughs> list.
2: Um, like Simone said, I'm not surprised. And if this wasn't what would have came out of it, I think. A lot of questions would have been raised that like, well, what is we're doing with all this evidence, you know, that we've seen again and again. It's just interesting to see, you know, like you have a really powerful alderman in an area full of mostly Mexican, Mexican Mexican-Americans. I think a lot of people in the community are surprised or like they're not surprised about all this at all either. Um, People have felt neglected in the community. He's kind of just been this this like shadow of a guy who like everyone in Chicago, you see his shadow, but you never really see him. So I'm, I'm already hearing kind of, you know, on social media, people reacting to the verdict, the Gage Park Latinx Council, which, you know, is in Gage Park. They immediately tweeted like, oh, we've been saying, you know, that that this older person has been has robbed our community of resources for half a century. Um, and so it's interesting to kind of see, you know, these, these community members kind of already reacting to to what's being what's been said and, and the verdict in general it's worth noting though that that demographic
1: um, kind of dichotomy that you are describing that wasn't always the case right when yeah. when Burke first came into office the 14th Ward was largely a white ward um and right that was sort of the the base of power. Uh, for Burke and aldermen like him, um, and you know, besides the fact that he was, uh, you know, sitting under indictment on these charges, you know, a re- big reason he didn't seek reelection this year in 2023 was because of those changing demographics and some of the the ward remapping that had happened to really solidify uh, that that Latino base uh, in in the 14th ward and on the southwest side.
0: We have to wait until potentially June to To find out how uh, the courts will, will sentence Burke. I don't think any of us expect him to get any jail time.
1: I, I don't know about any jail time, but it would be like he probably right, won't get the get max. The, the max,
0: which is like 20 years.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, Burke turns 80 years old uh, this month. Um, it's unlikely that, that a judge will sentence him to the max uh, amount of jail time that these charges carry, um, both for that reason and... Uh, and for others as well. That was the other thing I wanted to say too, is Jacobo, you mentioned joining a long line. Uh, Burke, this makes Burke the, uh, 38th older person, member of city council to be convicted of a crime in the past, uh, 50 ish years or so. Uh, 38, 38 have been, convicted. they almost got their
0: own city council.
1: Almost, mm-hmm. yeah. They have a they have a majority for sure, at the very least. <laughs> the
0: council uh, of corruption.
1: the The council of <laughs> convicted alders could pass any legislation that they want that they wanted to. <laughs> they have a, a, a I don't. I think it's a veto-proof majority. If I'm doing my math right.
0: Are you self conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with a liner experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patient smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. We have been talking about the state of Chicago's new arrival and asylum seeker facilities all month. I mean, we have had news, it feels like, every single day from the plan for two sort of uh, large scale facilities (laughs) that were canceled. Uh, People have been looking into how much money is being spent. But at the heart of this story are still the over 20,000 people who have arrived to Chicago in the last year and a half. And this week. Tragic news came out of the, the city's largest facility in the Pilsen neighborhood when a five-year-old boy was reported dead after days of illness. Uh, Jean Carlos Martinez Rivero at an area hospital earlier this week. Uh, Simone, investigations have been going on into the cause of the death. More has come out about the state of the Pilsen facility, which, I mean, holds over 2,000 people currently, which honestly was a shock to me when I read it this week. What's the latest news? What, what do we know so far?
1: Yeah, I think there's still a lot of confusion and a lot of questions um, about what's happening. The five-year-old boy who died was showing signs of illness, was taken to the hospital. And then, like, the day after, we also saw other children being taken to the hospital um, treated for illnesses uh, and, and a couple of adults as well. And so there was this question, like, is there something spreading? Is something going on? The city has come out and said that there is no relationship between the other children who were hospitalized and Martinez Rivero, uh, the, the young boy who died. You know, that there's not an outbreak of something that is, you know, kind of tearing through the facility that is deadly uh, or worrisome in that sense. Um, that said, there are a lot of illnesses being reported at that facility, a lot of ambulances um, that have had to respond to emergencies at that facility. And what advocates and also migrants themselves are reporting is that it is very overcrowded, that there is a lot of sickness going around. um, And also that uh, some volunteers, particularly medical volunteers, have said that um, they aren't being given enough access to get inside to actually treat people for illnesses, get folks treated, get folks checked out, get folks vaccinated um, from what has been described in a lot of the reporting out of the Sun-Times, out of Borderless, out of Block Club. It just sounds like there's sort of a lot of chaos in terms of getting um, medical uh, treatment and, and medical attention to folks who are living at this shelter. At, at again, the city's largest shelter uh, in, in Pilsen.
0: While the city focused so much in their response on sort of assuaging fear that there isn't an infectious disease going on, a lot of reporters and critics sort of pushed back and said, OK, but, but what about the other issues that are being reported? Our colleagues over at Borderless magazine over the last couple of weeks have been reporting more and more about speaking two asylum seekers who've been staying inside of the city shelters and people at the Pilsen sites have said it's dusty. It's cramped. Like you said, we don't. It's cold, too. That's another report. Right. It's it's cold as hell. They say the bathrooms are dirty. Sometimes the food is spoiled and expired. People have reported mistreatment, uh, flu, respiratory illness, chicken pox. And so, you know, even if the There isn't a sort of infectious disease moving throughout right now. There is a sense of uh, sort of I don't know if hopelessness is the right word, but a a huge frustration moving through the shelter that, you know, on one hand, you know, a a company is being paid almost one hundred million dollars to run the city's facilities. But when people are saying, hey, we're not getting sort of basic resources, we're not getting basic medical attention, it, it builds up the question again of all of this money is going out the door but it doesn't feel like uh, it's maybe getting to the people who need it most.
1: Yeah, referencing their a uh, uh, contract that the city has with Favorite Healthcare Staffing, which is a Kansas-based uh, company that staffs the city shelters, and um, has been criticized for by by Chicago alders and by others as well um, for charging uh, exorbitant fees for its services. The city has sort of defended that contract, saying that you know they are working on hiring more locally, and and I will say like. This is sort of a, a really common problem in shelters. Um, this mm-hmm. was also a problem, you know, before we had this crisis of of folks coming in um, and being bused and and now uh, you know and and flown uh, to to Chicago. Anyone who has ever worked uh, in a homeless shelter or who has worked with that in any kind of shelter population will tell you, like. Shelters are a breeding ground for disease in populations that are already vulnerable, right? And so, you know, on the one hand, I think, I think we are certainly right to to scrutinize and to sort of uh, call for the city to do better and and to sort of demand uh, better conditions. Um, but I will say, like, there is a sense of this is part of what happens when you are trying to to house a bunch of people in one place at the same time. You know, you're trying to serve 2000 people in one place. Like it's really difficult. It's it's a really, really difficult proposition just from a public health standpoint,
2: let alone, you know,
1: everything else.
2: This has become an, like a public health emergency. Um, and the fact that it's taken so long for the city to respond adequately. I think when it comes to a child dying, it, it, it I hope it would remind people of their humanity, especially if people don't really know how they feel. Most of the times, I think, I think you've said this before Jacoby, where we talk about, you know, a lot of communities who have felt neglected um, kind of feel like there's a scarcity of resources. And so when other communities come in and they need the resources as well, and they may feel that, you know, their issues are getting addressed more than theirs has, it could be really divisive and and really dangerous. and. I don't know, I feel like with everything that's going on with the world, children should be in the care of community. I, I would hope that people, this is kind of like a, a rude awakening in a way, like just like to for people yeah. to really reflect on like what's being done and what can be done. Mm.
0: Before we get out of here, we end every CityCast Chicago episode with some good news. And this year, we have covered hundreds and hundreds of stories that br- brought a little bit of joy to us. And so we want to end this episode by talking about some of our favorite good news that happened throughout 2023. Michelle, I'm going to start with you. What was one piece of good news that, that brought a smile to your face this year?
2: So one piece of good news was back in September, WGN highlighted Michael Earhart. He's a Chicago chef, a Chicago Southsider, and he dedicates his life to giving back to his community. Um, I think for for a long time he's been doing this event called um, the Taste for the Homeless, and there he kind of just like goes to different areas of the city. He has these events, and he just prepares food for people who are experiencing homelessness. Um, and recently he went out to Elk Grove to do the same thing, you know, prepare, you know, set up shop, prepare food, but this. Time for a group of Venezuelan migrants. Um, and so he was heading out to the suburbs to do that because another organization had kind of reached out and, and let him know that, you know, they had a population there that really needed help. And I don't know, I just think it's really inspiring. Like, again, just coming off from that news about the really sad living conditions that people are currently living in, you know, under the city's care And, you know, just to just to be reminded that there's people in the community and he's not the only one, right? Like there's definitely a a lot of organizations and people who are reaching out and really trying to, you know, care for this this vulnerable population.
0: For sure, I think Chicagoans in many ways have been the unsung heroes, like y'all have been saying, from making food, providing clothes, providing basic medical care, trying to help figure out using their nonprofit connections in Texas and along the route to to let people know and coordinate when people are are coming to Chicago. Uh, there have been just a lot of everyday folks who've who've opened up their house, thrown pop up parties, just just been a place of of, of a, a site of refuge, you know, a, a sense of community community for people who are arriving to a place uh, that is, for all practical purposes, a, a new, strange, and probably terrifying location. Simone, what about you? What was one piece of good news? Obviously, like all of our conversations, it's hard to whittle it down, but what's something that that's carried you this year? That's given you some joy.
1: Yeah, I was going back through some of our coverage and trying to, uh, you know, we, we did so many good news stories this year, but one thing that I want to highlight that also kind of gets at this community thing. Um, Block parties were back this year. So back in July, we did a couple conversations about block parties, how to host a block party. And as part of that, we were looking up the numbers of how many block party permits people had been asking for. And it's so interesting because you look at 2020, and in 2020, there were 58 block party permits total Mm. for the whole year. Now, in 2023, there were nearly 4,000 permits uh, that were issued. So people were out on their blocks. You know, they were getting together. They were, you know, having some little
0: hooks. Yeah,
1: or Mm -hmm. whatever. You know, they were having a good time. And I, you know, it's not quite back at the level that it was at at 2019. But it's just to kind of see that number. Uh, kind of growing after, you know, everybody was sort of stuck in their homes and they weren't out in community. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like it's just like a data point that really kind of exemplifies just the way everyone was outside and together and hanging out this year. Um, And I I love it. I think it's great.
0: Yeah, I stopped by block parties in Calumet Heights, just passing through, walking to my mom's house, Hyde Park very intentionally, and Inglewood. And so they, they, they fell back this summer to me.
2: Those were like my favorite days as a child, like knowing that, you know, my neighbor was coming, coming over to the house with a clipboard. I was like, yes, block party's <laughs> coming soon. And my my block, actually, the one I grew up on, we haven't had a block party since 2019. But now that I'm back, I'm like, maybe I should get on this block party planning committee. Maybe it's my time. Maybe you the you clipboard. Know. But yeah, maybe I'm the one holding the clipboard now. So we'll see.
0: I love that for Gage Park. Michelle, back to to spice things up, y'all. Change some things around. (laughs) And then because I know our audience and I know they love not only good news, but they love a good news story. My good news from this year is the end of Cash Bail. The Pre-Trial Fairness Act officially going uh, into effect in September was supposed to go into effect earlier this year, but got held up in courts, a bunch of lawsuits. But it officially went in. And all of the a lot of the stories I've been reading over the last couple of weeks and months are saying that, hey, all that nonsense that, you know, conservatives were talking about and those fake newspapers about how the Safety Act, the end of cash bail was going to bring about sort of a spike in crime and people running through the streets around Chicago and Springfield and other cities in Illinois. It's good to see in these months that everywhere from Sangamon County to Cook County, people are reporting um uh, fewer cases needing to be seen by judges. They're uh, reporting like record low numbers inside of their jails. They they have seen no associated crime spikes in their areas. Uh, Kim Fox had to remind people that ninety eight percent of people who are let out pretrial just go back to work or tending to their families or living their lives, awaiting trial in the lead up to this going into effect. There was so much misinformation there felt like there were, there was so much fear mongering going on. It's good to see that the, the, the sky hasn't fallen and that we have taken one step towards creating a, a slightly more equitable, um, you know, criminal legal system. I want to give another thank you to our producer, Michelle Navarro.
2: Thanks for having me, Jacoby.
0: And our executive producer, Samal Aliseya. Thanks. Before we get up out of here, I want to give you one last reminder. Vote for CityCast Chicago and Hey Chicago as best podcast and best email newsletter and the Chicago Reader's Best of 2023 list. If you want to know who you can thank for all of this amazing content we've been giving you, here it is. Our executive producer is Simone Alisea. Our producer is Michelle Navarro. Our newsletter editor is Sidney Madden. Our roving producers are Natalie Rivera and Noah Snyderman. The music we all love is from Sam Thousand, All the Kimonos, and Mark Greenberg from the May- Mayfair workshop. As always, we appreciate you for reading and listening. We're off Monday for Christmas, but Tuesday through Friday next week, we're replaying some of your favorite episodes of the year. Peace.